0: I'm Kate Daniels. For all the great ways that we, the United States, is a leader in the world, there is one very shameful one, and that is where our justice system, more specifically, our prison system and incarceration, is concerned. This is where we are in the company of Russia and South Africa. Professor Peter Enz is with us to discuss some of the aspects for this, which we find in his new book, Incarceration Nation, How the United States Became the Most Punitive Democracy in the World. Professor Enns teaches in the Department of Government at Cornell University, where he is also the Executive Director of the Roper Center for Public Opinion Research. And we have him joining us this morning to share some insights. Peter Enns, good morning. It is really so wonderful to have you join us this morning.
1: Good morning, Kate. It's my pleasure.
0: You have so much important information to impart to us this morning. We're obviously not going to be able to cover all that we need to in a half hour, but that's the purpose of having a, a great book to provide all the details and all the information, as well as a website. So, Incarceration Nation: How the United States Became the Most Punitive Democracy in the World. That is such a shocking, earth-shattering kind of title for me, but because we have been living this for quite a number of decades now, perhaps. I shouldn't be feeling so shocked.
1: Well, it is stunning that the United States has the highest incarceration rate in the world, and this is a product of decades of growth in the prison system in this country.
0: Well, as you say, it's been happening for decades. It really began to accelerate in the 1960s, correct?
1: Yeah, the and the, the, the 70s is where we really... Then see the takeoff through the 80s, 90s. It continues, and I think it's important. Not only do we have the world's highest incarceration rate, um, and and spend this tremendous amount, but the the U.S. criminal justice system is incredibly punitive in in other ways. And I'll give an example. So recently, President Obama banned solitary confinement in federal prisons for juveniles. And so I imagine a lot of folks before that didn't even realize that those under 18 could be in federal prison and then in federal prison could be experiencing solitary confinement. Now, that's not a large number of individuals, but, but that to me is, is just a stunning illustration of how far the, the punitive nature of the criminal justice system has gone.
0: And so here in Incarceration Nation, you go into a lot of statistical research, and, and that, I, I think, underscores how these are not simply stories, which, of course, the stories are important, but showing how this all began to accelerate and I think again, what is shocking is we want to think of ourselves as becoming what more enlightened, more uh, b- benevolent. At least I look at it that way over these more recent decades. But to become more punitive really seems extraordinary.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. It, 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 it in some in some domains the the policies of this country and public attitudes have have grown more tolerant in recent decades in the in the nature of criminal justice the 60s 70s 80s and the mid nineties was the high point of public punitiveness and so through this period an increasingly punitive public um, really year after year after year and so it it's just it's absolutely stunning another example is Life without parole. So think about this sentence where you could be uh, receive a life sentence with no opportunity for parole. the The Supreme Court just ruled recently, scaling this back just a hair in the sense that it can't be a mandatory, there can't be a crime that a youth could commit that would automatically result in life without parole. But to that, but prior to that, even those less than 18 could get that sentence. And to give a, a, a scope of the magnitude, the, the rate of sentencing of life without parole in the U.S. is 180 times greater of that of, of England. And so if we th- once we control for population size, and if we look to Canada, the sentence of life without parole doesn't exist in Canada. And, and long sentences aren't the only factor, but that's an important uh, reason for the rise in the uh, prison population in this country.
0: And on that particular subject, life without parole has sometimes, because of three strikes, been allocated or p- placed on persons who have committed crimes that are really, you can't think of them as being re- C- criminal in nature. I mean, yes, they've made errors and it, and it is something that's wrong, but to spend the rest of your life in prison for it is just craziness.
1: I think most people would absolutely agree with that assessment. I give one example in the book of somebody who stole a couple of VHS tapes. This uh, was when we still had uh, VHS videotapes. Stole them. This was from a Kmart, and was caught in the act by the store security guard. The tapes never left the store. The police were involved. And this was prosecuted as a third felony in California, 25 years to life. The stunning part of this story is he, wasn't, he was arrested at the time but not sent to jail. The court date was set later. One week later, at a different Kmart, tried the same thing, again was caught in the act. So the total value of all these videotapes was 150 bucks and ends up getting two sentences, 25 years to life. And so that's just a, just one of the many examples of, of, of what you're describing with uh, the, the punitive nature of the criminal justice system.
0: And so using that example, we can see that the harm done was quite minor. On the other end of the spectrum, Incarcerating this person, taking him away from his family and productivity, the cost of imprisoning him is, is astronomical.
1: That's, that's absolutely correct. And there's a, when, when you say cost, Kate, there's a couple costs in mind. First, the, the fiscal cost, right? The, the cost to the society, meaning the financial cost for keeping someone in prison, is incredibly high so there and that means government is spending on prisons money that could have been spent elsewhere and so that's a cost you also mentioned the family and absolutely there's uh, a huge number of of youth about uh, around one point eight million kids in this country who have a parent in prison and so the family cost is is very high there's community costs because those incarcerated often come from similar geographic areas. So we know uh, urban areas, especially um, with uh, in where uh, the socioeconomic status is is lower in urban areas. So there's community costs, but as a society, we also pay the costs. Again, footing this fiscal bill, um, and you mentioned lack of productivity. Most of those in prison today in the United States will be released, and so policymakers and the public need to be attentive to. What's being done to make sure that those who are released from prison uh, ha- have the opportunity to become successful, productive members of society? And and some do. Um, in fact, many do. But it's an uphill battle because it is not a supportive environment at all.
0: And that is something that I find just mind-boggling, that by not providing a good support system, by not providing educational opportunities as these people come out of prison really is setting them up for further failure. It's as though we want the recidivism to exist.
1: If we just look at the policies, sometimes it it, it seems like that. And of course, nobody does. But the policies and the systems we have in place are are not designed to minimize recidivism so the the lack of education and training opportunities while while incarcerated i mean imagine anybody who is excluded from the workforce for 1 year, 5 years, 25 years trying to go back and find a job is incredibly difficult now envision being in a in a prison cell for that time and it's even magnified. Some, some jobs you're not eligible uh, to obtain. Others, it's just the stigma that employers attach to having served time in prison. And so there's incredible obstacles. And another factor related to this, the many, many prisoners, in fact, most leave prison with high levels of debt. Some of this is the cost that accrue while being in prison. So recently in the news, there's been attention to how much it costs to use pay phones in prison to call family, the cost of purchasing necessary items in prison. Also, if anyone owes debt when they go to prison, that continues to accrue. So if someone owes child care and they're in prison for 10 years, they have 10 years of child care payments they owe upon being released and so the the obstacles are are absolutely tremendous
0: so to feel as though they can come out and really have a fresh slate that that is probably non-existent for a a great number of the population
1: it's it's a challenge now i do know individuals who have have served time in in prison and have come out and are doing incredibly well employed reconnected with family and, and it, lead, leading a, a model life and doing incredibly well. But that is the in spite of all of these obstacles. And if there was more opportunities and more attention and more support upon release, we would see more of those formerly incarcerated following these successful paths.
0: So we spend exorbitant amounts of of dollars on the prison system for all that it entails from building more and more prisons we've seen such an increase in that although as you note that that has also we've we're seeing some closure of prisons but there was just this huge increase and then all the staffing of that the cost then of of the that housing versus the other side of the spectrum with people who are in prison, many with inadequate education. If we used dollars for education and we're not, we're throwing it into that criminal justice system, wouldn't that make a huge difference?
1: Almost all scholars and researchers agree with that point. Whether we look at political scientists, economists, sociologists, historians, there's, there's uniform agreement that the level of incarceration in this country, the, co- the financial cost far exceeds the benefits. And some of that is the trade off between exactly less spending on education and so the, the proportion of, of state budgets going to education, especially higher education, in every state has declined as every state has increased the proportion spent on prisons and so prevention and the even dollar for dollar just spending on more police and and direct crime prevention in that way versus more prison time it's 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 more cost-effective that way so we've of course as the incarceration rate increased particularly in the 70s there's a lot of debate on how much crime reduction benefits there were but there's consensus there was some if for no other reason than if you lock up enough people, there's fewer people that even could commit a crime. But the, as the prison system grew and the prison population grew, all researchers uh, pretty much side on the position of we're way beyond the cost-effective level of if the goal is crime reduction, we're not getting, dollar for dollar, we're not getting the maximum crime reduction we could by putting so many people in prison.
0: And would you say that education, really focusing more dollars on the educational system, quality education, various forms of education to suit the individuals in in a particular community, is that part of the solution?
1: Sure. And we think about this often. When we think of um, family or children or friends or neighbors, it's just very common to want the best education and because as a society we tend to value education and we know that education helps people get ahead in life. But we have, particularly in in low-income and disadvantaged neighborhoods, both urban and rural, the educational opportunities are less. And so absolutely in the same way that if, If the neighborhood school where my kids go has more opportunities, I feel great about that. If in other neighborhoods the schools were improved, we would expect positive outcomes. And uh, I'll give you one, I think, startling example. I've got uh, an illustration in the book of blocks in Brooklyn, and this occurs in cities all over the the country, where they're called million-dollar blocks because a million dollars – is being spent each year incarcerating the residents of that single block. So imagine if instead of spending a million dollars on incarceration, it was a million dollars per block providing services, be it improving schools, health, uh, better health, health clinics, job training, support, possibly counseling for those uh, who need counseling, drug treatment if that was needed. You can accomplish a lot, spending a million dollars per block. um, But instead, that's going to imprisoning the residents of that block.
0: So this is the kind of thing that is important for us to really embrace and be conscious of. Incarceration Nation, how the United States became the most punitive democracy in the world, gives us the opportunity to look at the statistics, to read these stories, to really consider this, and to realize about this punitive nature of what has gone on. This is what I think is really stunning, is the word you're using, and that is, I think, so great to use. To see that it's not our political leaders, it's not the government that has pushed it. It has been public opinion. The public has driven this
1: that's that's correct and that was that really cuts against the conventional wisdom of the story because we we often hear in the media and even the research pointing to especially conservative politicians and saying those individuals led the way whether it's Barry Goldwater, Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan and these individuals were talking about tough on crime and were behind these policies. But when we when we look to history, look at the data, what I find is they were following the public. The public was becoming more punitive. And that's why this became a political issue. That's why the policies changed. And that's why we see these political leaders moving the criminal justice system in the more punitive direction.
0: And so here it is, where we want to think of ourselves as Really progressive, and really thinking in terms of the greater good, we find that we were behind this punitive system. Part of it then, as you suggest in incarceration nation, Peter, the media had a part to play.
1: The media is an important part of this story. That is correct. And because if the if the public was becoming more punitive, and the politicians were responding to the public that raises the question well why was the public becoming more punitive and media is an important element there and what begins to happen in the nineteen sixties and of course the nineteen sixties was a tumultuous time period in this country the crime rates increasing now not everybody experiences the rising crime rate not everybody's a victim of crime or even know someone who has been a victim of crime but media is covering this crime, covering it more and more and more as the crime rate rises, and not necessarily covering it in a neutral fashion. So violent crimes were more likely to be covered in the news, crimes committed by racial minorities. As the crime rate goes up, media coverage of crime goes up, and, and this media coverage in this typically sensationalistic uh, nature and then we see the public becoming more punitive in response.
0: And as you mentioned, in a sensationalistic way that this is reported, it's taking, um, I think you used the word episodic, so that it's not really giving the whole scope of the story. We're just seeing these slices.
1: Exactly. And so the focus on the crime, the scariest nature of the crime, and that can be an important part of the story. There's other elements that also need to be considered, and we're seeing a little more of this recently, where there's imperfections in the judicial system. And so there's been examples of those on death row, even some who have been executed who later are found to be innocent. And so when the public hears a a broader, more nuanced story, more nuanced opinions develop. Also, if the news covers why is crime possibly high in a particular area, or what are the best policies to reduce crime? So if, again, a a more thematic picture is portrayed, we might see different uh, uh, views among the public. But if it's just focusing on the crime in a narrow way without giving the public this broader picture to think about and evaluate, that's what drives the increase in punitiveness.
0: So this, I think, is an important thing for us to, again, really be open to hearing is how I'm going to use the word manipulate, how we might be being manipulated. At least consider that. Maybe it's not really the case, but just giving thought and questioning what we're hearing and wanting to look below the surface rather than just taking the story at superficial, at face value.
1: I think that's right. I think it's a a specific type of giving part of the story. And if it's systematically just part of the story and covering crime in, in a narrow way, Yeah, I don't know that it's a direct manipulation, but there's conscious choices. And, of course, only so many words can go in the newspaper headline and and so much can fit on the nightly news uh, snapshot being offered. But, yeah, a series of conscious choices about which crimes to report, how to report on those crimes. And then, again, not embedding the issue in a broader context. And so there's choices being made. And that has a direct effect on how the public thinks about that particular issue.
0: So what is important to note, as this has been the increase that we've seen in our country over these last number of decades, you, in your your research, Peter, have found that we're beginning to see uh, more of an openness to this, a, a change, a shift going on.
1: Yes, and this shift is very important for trying to understand the current political climate and the likely future of the criminal justice system in the United States. And so, as I mentioned, the high point of the public's punitiveness in this country was the mid-1990s. And what happened after that, crime rates actually have been declining since the late 90s. And as we might expect, when the crime rates decline... Media covers crime less. There's less crime to cover, and so it's less of a force in the news. And as a result, the public has been moving in a less punitive direction. Now, we're still a very punitive country. Our policies are punitive, and the public is in support of being tough on crime. But the change has been in a less punitive direction. And this is really important to understand. And it makes sense when we think of prominent politicians of both parties Democrats and Republicans are now calling for criminal justice reform and so we've seen some changes recently you mentioned the closing of some prisons um, the lowering of prison time for certain low-level drug offenses is another example we're seeing shifts that are occurring and it's consistent with the public having been moving in a less punitive direction in the last years.
0: And so do you find with all these changes, and there have been so many in terms of the way that we communicate, the, the kind of media that we have, is this playing an important role?
1: Absolutely, the, an important role in several ways. And mostly I would say in the politicians discussing the need for criminal justice reform And there's differences among Democrats and Republicans, but that both parties are discussing the need for reform. So Republican candidates and politicians tend to emphasize the cost to government, and Democrats might be more likely to emphasize the conditions inside prisons, so the use of solitary confinement, the, the length of prison sentences. But both parties talking about these issues is really phenomenal in the sense that we 're very polarized politically in this country, in fact, if we look to the u s Congress, the Democrats and Republicans have never been more polarized, never been farther apart in the history of congress and so the fact that we hear them saying similar things on this issue is illustrates both in my view the importance of public opinion, the parties coming together to follow public opinion, but also that this is an option for reform of the system, and a really important time period in terms of thinking about the future of the criminal justice system in the United States.
0: And this, of course, it impacts every single one of us. We are all touched by this in some way. It's very much become a part of our culture, and so it's heartening to know that there is this change occurring And that's where I feel, Peter, that in your book, Incarceration Nation, you give us such an important view of this. You've done incredible research, and we've just really, I think, skimmed the surface. But it's important to get into the book, into Incarceration Nation, and read the stories, see the statistics. You've done remarkable surveys, and all of that is contained here, right?
1: Yes, all there. And one thing, because this, these overtime patterns are so important to understand what's happened. For example, in the 50s, the U.S. incarceration rate it was between Finland and Denmark's incarceration rate. So to understand what's happened through history, I've tried to display all of these these the data in these figures, so anyone reading the book can just look at these graphs and get an understanding of what have been what have been the causes and the implications of the rise of mass incarceration in this country
0: and because it is uh, really it's such, it feels like this really major smudge on who we are. Do we really want to see ourselves this way? I think it's important to see this history and thus see how we might want to be part of really turning the tide and and improving the system.
1: I think that's right. And I think what's an important takeaway is we actually can. And we often hear that policymakers politicians don't pay attention to the public don't pay attention to people like us in the case of the criminal justice system the politicians have for the last sixty years followed the public and so the public has some agency in this and if public opinion and if individuals uh... learn more and try to get a more nuanced view and if the trend continues in a less punitive direction we can expect that to lead to meaningful change.
0: So excellent. That is really important and good news. Well, Peter Ends This has been such a stimulating conversation. I am just so grateful to you for taking time with us for the work that you obviously are very passionate about. You have a website, which I think is another important source for people to get further information. Let's mention that.
1: Sure. Peterends.org, And my last name is E-N-N-S. So Peterends.org. And absolutely, your listeners can get more information about the book, my research, my emails there. If anybody has a question to follow up on, always happy to reply to an email question. So that information is all there.
0: Terrific. Again, many thanks for this really important information and for your time today.
1: Thank you, Kate. Absolutely. My pleasure.